0: Business of Security podcast episode number 12. Your host is Ron Warner. Today, he'll be talking with Kristen Judge, CEO and president of the Cybercrime Support Network, cybersecurity author at LinkedIn Learning. Now let's get to it. We need to start talking about that we're not doing today. Information technology is built on a horrible foundation. If we could sort of redo and start from the beginning, we would be so much better off. If you don't invest in it, keep it running,
1: it will blow up. We also have to be able to go into solutions, not just problems. We have a long way to go if we're going to win this
2: fight. At the end of the day, educated people are really the best countermeasure against
1: all the threats. The threats, the threats, the threats. The Welcome the threats, to the Business the of the Security, the security the the podcast. The this is your host, Ron Warner. Joining me today is Kristen Judge, CEO and president of the Cybercrime Support Network and cybersecurity author at LinkedIn Learning. Prior to that role, Kristen was a director with the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Hi, Kristen, and welcome to the podcast.
3: Hi, Ron. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Definitely. It's great to get a chance to talk with folks like you with your extensive experience. Looking through your profile, I see you have degrees in education which may prove curious for some. So how did you move from education into cybersecurity?
3: It was actually education and counseling. And I think that people that are dealing with cybersecurity that aren't necessarily technologists, having that background in education and counseling is very helpful. Uh, As you know from spending time talking to people around the country Folks that are not involved in cybersecurity every day can be really intimidated by this subject. So you need to understand how do adults learn and how do you make people comfortable with the concepts. So I always start by empowering people. Uh, so my skills are definitely helpful there. I got involved in cybersecurity because I was an elected official at the county level and sat next to someone from the Department of Homeland Security at a county commissioner national meeting. And this was back in 2009, and he was looking for someone to help educate elected officials around the country on their role in cybersecurity. And if you think back to 2009, I don't think very many people even use the word cybersecurity, especially not county commissioners or state representatives or mayors. And he took me around the country, and we educated elected officials on the importance of their role in cybersecurity.
1: Some may say our elected officials still need more education in that, but we won't go down that uh, rabbit hole, but there is a definite need for continued education at all levels, both uh, federal, state, and private sector. I've read that good leaders are also good teachers, which you seem to be confirming. Do you agree and follow on? What can business and cybersecurity leaders learn from those in education?
3: I think the most, Effective leaders are ones that have passion for what they're doing and care about others. So a good leader that cares about the people around them and the security of people around them like I do can be a good teacher because I hear after I give a talk uh, you know, in front of 100, 200 people, it doesn't matter, almost always someone will come up to me and say, you're very passionate about this and it was interesting to listen to you because of your passion. So I think if you're a leader in an area and passionate about it, you can't help but be a good teacher because it comes through in your delivery.
1: What can business leaders do to become better teachers? Because is it, is it a learned skill or is it something someone is born with? And what, what can we do to be better teachers?
3: You know, I've actually spent some time in some leadership programs. And I think if someone would like to become a better leader, you can apply to all kinds of programs, whether it's in your county, for your state. I was just a part of a national program, the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program that was put on by Presidents Bush, Bush, Clinton, and the LBJ Library. And we spent six months going from, uh, to each of the presidential libraries and meeting with the presidents themselves uh, and their staff that helped them through their administration and looked at their leadership style. Uh, So certainly you don't have to do that one, but I have friends who do all kinds of local and state leadership programs, too. It does take some time to educate yourself and and train yourself, but uh, it's certainly worthwhile to look into leadership programs.
1: Very good. Great advice. Yes, it's one of those things is to find a mentor, maybe, or a coach who can help you along the way. Is that what uh, you have found as well? Do you recommend uh, finding a mentor or coach to help build your leadership and teaching skills?
3: Absolutely. So I recommend having a mentor or two yourself. I have a couple that are just amazing in my life. But then I also learn by mentoring others. And I think it's really important to not assume that um, you can't give back also and learn from giving back. So I like to be a mentor and a mentee.
1: Very good. That's what I agree. I love teaching mainly because I love to learn, and I learn as much from my students as I probably teach them, but don't tell them that. It's all part of the smoke and mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) Agree. So, uh, you also have a great past experience with the MSISAC, Center for Internet Security, and the National Cybersecurity Alliance. So, maybe if you can talk about some of the activities you did in those organizations to help build your leadership and cybersecurity skills.
3: Sure. So, I'm not a technologist by training. Clearly, as you can tell, I have degrees in education and counseling. But I do know more than the average person because I've been. So fortunate to be able to work at places like the mSI sac and the the group that I was working with and interacting with every day were the leaders that you and I have share in common, a lot of friends, the chief information security officers of states or local government. that was really who I hung around with for years and helped support their business. so I learned so much from them and then being at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, I spent a lot of time going around the country. And working with companies like Google and the Federal Trade Commission, FBI, educating Americans on safe practices online. And we're talking about basic safety, like adding two-factor authentication. What do we do about passwords? Uh, Using a VPN when you're at Starbucks uh, surfing the Internet. So I've had a really great opportunity to learn from cybersecurity professionals the basic best practices, that I can then be an interpreter for to the regular uh, non-technical consumers and small businesses. So I've really enjoyed being that go-between between the technologists and folks that don't quite understand.
1: That it sounds level. like you use your teaching skills, taking the technical concepts like two-factor or multi-factor authentication and making it simple for small businesses and individuals to understand.
3: Exactly, and that's why I was so excited to have the chance to be a a LinkedIn learning author, and I wrote a course, it's about an hour and a half course, teaching cybersecurity to small businesses using the NIST cybersecurity framework. So going through the framework and looking at the top five buckets, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, those are important issues, but if you're not running an industrial control system, you don't need the other details within the NIST framework. Well, what I did is I took those core principles and wrote a course that's now on LinkedIn Learning where a small business can go through that course or a nonprofit or a small school and understand what they can do and feel empowered, which I think is really important in security. You need to empower people to understand they can do something to improve their security. So I'm very proud of that class. That is awesome,
1: especially now that NIST actually has the federal mandate to be looking after small-medium businesses. So to know that this resource is available through LinkedIn Learning is great because, again, we're all still learning and we need to share these resources because there are many small-medium businesses who may think they're not on the radar for cybersecurity, but they really are. That's a great resource.
3: Yeah, and I do feel that they're paying more attention than they used to, the small businesses. About four years ago, we couldn't get them in the room, but now they're coming and saying, okay, what do I need to know? So I think we've had a bit of a shift in the past couple of years.
1: Yes, that is great, and hopefully to keep everyone out of trouble and not be breached. But, you know, of course, breaches do still happen. We see them. And that might be the essence behind cybercrime. It seems to be continually in the news. So let's talk about your latest initiative, the Cybercrime Support Network. What is it? What services does it provide? And how'd you get into it?
3: I'm very proud of this one. I started with an idea probably back in 2010, when I was working on cybersecurity as a county commissioner in my own community, And I had a young gentleman who was one of my constituents call me at eight o'clock on a Friday night and say, my sister's being harassed on Facebook and I don't know who to call. And I saw your name in the paper talking about cybersecurity and I thought I'd call you. And so I called our sheriff and I said, you know, what can we do? What services are available? And we realized that law enforcement really wasn't trained to handle these kinds of calls yet. They didn't have the staff or the training. And it was so new, I realized we need a place to send people so that they can get the help that they need. And it's a little bit scary out there, and there's a lot of places to go. But if you're currently being impacted by cybercrime, it's hard to tell where to go first. So what we wanted to do is sort of be the voice for cybercrime victims, whether they're consumers or small businesses, and help them get to where they need to go. So we're launching fraudsupport.org at the end of October. And on this website, someone who has been impacted by a cyber incident will be able to triage themselves and find resources based on what happened to them. They'll also be able to report, and that reporting form will go to the FBI IC3 and the Federal Trade Commission. We're also looking at sharing threat data with private sector. And then they'll be able to reinforce their security. I'm working with partners like Know Before um, and others to have products on the site, just some non-technical, like a VPN, uh, two-factor authentication, training, things that people can do to improve their security before they leave interacting with us. And uh, what we're going to do then is help take care of the problem that we are not getting reports from 90% of the Americans that are being impacted by cybercrime. So we really don't know what the true impact is. And then we also aren't getting people to where they need to go. A lot of folks call 911 if they're a victim of a Microsoft Tech scam or the IRS tax scam, and that's not where we want them to go. So we're going to route folks to the correct place, number one, through our website, and then also we're doing pilot programs to start using the 211 infrastructure.
1: So Kristen, tell us what you're doing with the 211.
3: So 211 currently is a number that covers over 90% of Americans, and you can call 2 one in most communities to get help with referrals for human service needs, like housing, food, mental health, and those kinds of things. So we're going to utilize that 2 one network in a few pilot communities this year to try and get uh, victims of cybercrime to start by calling 2 one and then be connected to where they need to go from there. So just one spot for Americans to know, I can go in through this one phone number and then get to the help that I need. 211 won't provide the cybersecurity help or services, but they have a database that we'll be creating that will help get people to where they need to go. I have to say, though, people cannot start calling 211 for cybercrime right now, so please don't do that yet. We just got two federal grants to stand up our program Um, in the uh, central Florida, West Michigan, and Rhode Island. So they're coming, but not quite yet.
1: Okay. So, but this is something we'll see eventually uh, within or throughout the whole United States, we hope at least. That's the plan. So at least, and it's great to have that single point of focus for people to be able to call, because that's exactly the problem. People don't know who they should contact when they are a victim. And you're right. Many don't, even report it. They they try to take care of it themselves. They think there's nothing to report, but often they may have to report it uh, for insurance purposes or for other needs and if nothing else to be able to create this data source as to how many victims we are seeing of
0: cybercrime. Let's take a short break and hear a success story from our sponsor TrustMap, the business management system for security leaders.
2: Hey, this is Chad Beckman, I just want to uh, quickly introduce uh, Pam Broke. Pam, welcome. Thank you. Pam, tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing with the Roundtable Network.
4: Yeah, so, well, first, thanks for having me. I, uh, my background is I've been in cybersecurity for uh, 18, 19 years now, which is a long time for this um, sector, and um, I've primarily been, during that time, serving the, the CISO community You know, so I have a really rich network of Fortune 1000 CISOs and I've just launched my third services business last year and it's really to address a market need that the CISOs have around understanding which technologies to look at to fight the war. There's thousands of cybersecurity vendors, and they're getting hundreds of unsolicited uh, calls every week. And if they actually ferreted through uh, which vendors to look at, it would be a full-time job. So I do that for them, and I do that in a very specific way by uh, identifying four or five products each quarter that I introduce to them in a one-on-one meeting. So I meet with each of my Fortune Fortune 500 executives. I have 50 of them. Uh, for one hour each quarter to present those products. And they love it, um, and it helps them understand which products are worthy and deserve to be above the noise. Uh, There's a little bit more to it. I do other services for them, but that's the centerpiece.
2: Very cool. So you're helping to really uh, sort through the noise as it were. That's a very big topic now amongst the CISO community, particularly with all the vendors uh, that uh, sometimes have great solutions and other times they have a different spin on an old idea. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about uh, the success of your program. Uh, I, I, You know, candidly, I'm responsible for TrustMap and we've worked together, but um, what kind of success have you seen and what's the most successful product out of your program today?
4: You know, obviously I have two, uh, two customers in a sense, right? But my primary client is my CISOs, the 50 Fortune 500 CISOs that I serve, and I do not take money Uh, from the vendors I really am relying on bringing value to the CISOs and when I do I monetize in that way so every quarter I'm reinventing myself so every quarter I really do have to find four or five products or services it can be a service as well that hit a pain point because I'm having 50 one-on-one conversations every single quarter with these executives it's fairly easy for me to recognize a product that would meet a need. Um, And then of course I go through a a very rigorous process of, of vetting that solution to make sure that they can deliver, and deliver at scale, because I don't want my executives to be the um, guinea pig, so to speak. The process is, 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 a, is a long one around vetting. And then as far as successful products, I, I have to say that Trustmaps has been my most successful vendor, and how do I measure success? How many of my 50 Fortune 500 CISOs said, I've got to see this product, I have this problem to solve over 30. So more than half of my network said, you know, you had me at hello, actually. <laughs> I do the presentation. I do a short five to seven minute presentation on each of my vendors each quarter. And I usually don't get all the way through the presentation on map because they resonate so well with the problem that you solve, which is, you know, they need to measure their program and show progress to the executive team and the board. And they're doing this right now manually. And so to automate that and Make it put more rigor and consistency behind it is crucial. Actually, it's crucial to their success and their role. You know, a lot of CISOs these days, um, you know, their jobs are on the line and they have to show what they're doing um, to their peers, to their leadership team, and to the board.
2: That's wonderful. Thanks for that summary, Pam. I really appreciate it. Uh, if the CISOs want to get a hold of you, Uh, or perhaps some innovative vendors out there, what's the best way for them to get in contact?
4: I'll just suggest that they go to my website. Um, Obviously, it's really easy to get a hold of me from there. My website is theroundtablenetwork.com, and you should be able to find me.
2: Great. So for everybody, that was theroundtablenetwork.com. Pam, thank you very much for taking time to talk about your program and the success that TrustMap has had. I appreciate it.
4: Thanks for inviting me.
2: Remember,
0: listeners of the podcast can schedule a free trial of TrustMap at TrustMap.com business. Now let's get back to the show.
1: Do I do have a question. How do you define cybercrime? What does it all entail?
3: It's a great question, and we get that a lot. And we're working with the FBI IC3 and the Federal Trade Commission, Consumer Sentinel. Uh, We also have looked at definitions from the Better Business Bureau, AARP, uh, Stop Fraud Colorado, and we actually compiled the definitions from all five of those organizations for cybercrime. And the IC3, for example, has 38 different cybercrime types and definitions. The overarching definition is anything that happens that's uh, illegal activity, criminal activity that uses a device connected to the internet. That's the simple definition. But when you look at business email compromise, for example, we have about four or five definitions that are being used across the country by those organizations that I just mentioned. So it's really important that we start to come up with a uniform taxonomy. And we're helping to put together that discussion, hopefully, in uh, D.C. with some key partners to start coming to terms with let's pick the same definitions and the same words for the same crimes, so we can all share information and be talking about the same thing. So what we've done, though, for our website and for our purposes, we had to use words that mean something to the general public. We can't use the 38 cybercrime terms that the FBI uses on our public-facing website. We can categorize stuff behind the scenes, but we've come up with seven or eight categories that would make sense to my mom and, you know, your cousins and everybody else It doesn't work in cybersecurity.
1: That is very helpful because a lot of folks may not even be aware that they are a victim of a type of cybercrime that could then be reported and action then could be taken uh, they, again, they might see it that I'm too small, and that's sometimes what I see and hear happens is that there's not a lot of financial issues, uh, but you know, it's like, say, small petty theft, less than $1,000 of damage to a particular individual or small business, but collectively they're causing millions of dollars worth of damage across all different types of individuals and businesses.
3: And that's where we think we can be most helpful to law enforcement. That's why we want our data to go into the FTC and the FBI IC3 databases because then local law enforcement can go in there and look for trends. And when we have two one one as the national number and we have hundreds of thousands of people a month calling, filling out reports, using our website, and that data is all going into somewhere where law enforcement can look at it for trends, we do believe they're going to be able to prosecute more and find these career criminals that are not just impacting a couple people at a time, but thousands at a time at $300 a pop. So I think that will be one of the outcomes of our program.
1: That is outstanding. One of the things I noticed on the Cybercrime Support Network's website, uh, you talk about knowing what to do before, during, and after a cyber breach. Maybe if you can talk to us about uh, those three different aspects to be aware of.
3: Yeah, and we're not going to get into the prevention business because we think the National Cybersecurity Alliance and many other organizations already have great prevention information. So before uh, is about prevention, putting good security in place, and we don't want to create anything new, but we're going to point people there so that they can get the best information. We're really going to be about the during. So when you've just had an incident, or you've just been affected by ransomware, you may have been a victim of ransom, or excuse me, uh, romance scam, or something like that, then where do you go? What do you do? So that's the during. We really want to make sure that we're capturing that during phase. And then after someone gets some uh, recovery and response to their incident, then we hope that we can help them with the after by having them leave our site with things like I talked about, the no before training. Uh, a VPN, two-factor authentication, some really key tools that will help them be safer.
1: I see this also being a great resource for those who are involved in information security or fraud, Or privacy, because we're often contacted by our friends and neighbors and family who may be a victim of cybercrime. And sometimes we don't know where to go during or after it occurs. So knowing that there is this resource with numerous links to other places uh, on your site, how did you compile this good list of resources of where to go for more information?
3: Uh, A lot of time and a lot of people and a lot of experts have gone into – have spent time creating this. But this is – our Cybercrime Support Network website is just really a landing page. When fraudsupport.org comes out at the end of October, it's going to look uh, about 100 times larger. And it will be – if you click on identity theft, you will be taken to a page that has the six top forms of identity theft. And if you click on medical identity theft, you'll go to one more page. And on that page, it'll take you to specific resources for medical identity theft. And they will tell you who to call, where to go, how to recover, if there are law enforcement responses. Uh, and, and that list, as we're working on it on the back end, I can tell you it's so robust um, that we're deciding maybe we should only put the top three resources for each of these categories out there in the beginning. Because uh, we don't want to overwhelm the public first if we have three good resources. But there are so many fantastic resources, which is great, but also part of the problem, no one's put them all in one place and guided the victims on how to get there. So we're really excited to create this funnel that people can go through easily and get right to where they need to go instead of calling six or seven offices and never getting to the right place. People just give up.
1: And that's what you did also at the NCSA is funnel a lot of the information about the protection aspect into one site, you know, stay safe online, which was has been very valuable. But you bring up a great point. A lot of people don't know what to do during a breach or after, whether it's for an individual or for a business. Is there anything you can maybe suggest for business leaders to understand about how to prepare for a, a breach and consider this as maybe even part of an incident response type of a plan, particularly for small, medium businesses who don't always have the bandwidth for this?
3: So I think it's important that, um, you know, everybody has to think of security as a part of everything that they do. And, you know, you may not have the bandwidth to deal with some of the prevention, but boy, you really don't have the bandwidth to deal with the aftermath of an attack. So that's even harder. So I always try and talk to folks about the return on investment that some kind of security helps you to create. Um, And so I encourage folks to think about the little bit of time I can spend on prevention and being educated and thinking about security. is going to be way less time than it takes to recover from a breach.
1: And then knowing where to go if there happens to be a breach, is very uh, very helpful because you don't want to have to do that research during the breach. Normally, that's a point of high stress, and where your counseling background probably comes really into a play here. You know, reducing people's stress during. These types of uh, actions, you know, when you are going through a, an identity theft or some type of a breach, uh, it's having that plan. It'd be like uh, knowing what to do in case of a hurricane or tornado or fire. I would imagine it'd be similar type of planning.
3: I agree, and you'll notice that on our website, one of our icons is a hand cause I really wanted. I told the designer we want to hold people's hands through this process and take away some of that extra stress. And because they're just so upset about what's happened, they don't have time to think through a lot of the work that we're going through ahead of time and putting into this back end. So we really do want to hold people's hands through the process. Excellent.
1: So just to remind folks, I'm on with Kristen Judge of the Cybercrime Support Network. Website is fraudsupport.org. And when this podcast goes live, uh, that site should be live as well, and also the website cybercrimesupport.org to go for more information. So as we begin to wrap up, Kristen, maybe if you could talk to me about some of the things you absolutely love about what you do and why you're so passionate. Because it comes through in your voice, and all that you've been doing, not only this year with the Cybercrime Support Network, but throughout your whole career.
3: I think I do feel a desire to be in public service and I did run for office. I was an elected official and I took that very seriously. I've always taught my children who are in their twenties now that you have to give back to your community. That's what makes your life rich. And so I do feel like every day I'm not working. I'm giving back. I am in public service still, even though I'm not an elected official, I do feel like I'm serving the public and I can make a difference. So that's really what motivates me every day is being able to make a difference and to be involved in the national um, cybersecurity uh, cohort of people that are working on this is invigorating every day. Because I admire so many of the people working in these federal agencies and states and people like you and universities who are really making a difference. So that energizes me every day.
1: That is great. Yes. And it should uh, I should point out to listeners as well that the Cybercrime Support Network is a nonprofit. And you do have some great sponsors, not only through federal grants, but ones like uh, Google. And who are some of your other sponsors?
3: AT&T and Comcast, uh, Craig Newmark, Philanthropy, the founder of Craigslist. And we're bringing on new sponsors all the time. It's just a matter of being able to have time to get in front of folks. But uh, we're going to be announcing by the time this this airs, there'll be quite a few others that'll be on board. And it just seems that whenever we do go out to sponsors, they say, this is something that needed to be done. Mm -hmm. They think I'm a little crazy for taking it on, but they're (laughs) thankful that someone is. And they understand that it just needs to be done. So it, it hasn't been too hard to convince folks to be a part of the solution. It's just a matter of having enough time to get in front of everybody.
1: Yes, definitely. And it's something that's going to take some time to build, but it's great that we have someone like you who is leading the charge through this. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners and what they need to understand about how to reduce that time of stress during a potential cybercrime?
3: I think it's important that everybody understands that cybercrime and fraud can happen to anyone, and they do happen to anyone and everyone. Um, I don't like to hear people say that, you know, seniors are more vulnerable because they aren't as informed or are they just not paying attention. You know, this can happen to the the smartest CEO, the youngest 25 year old that knows about technology. Cybercrime can happen to anyone and we need to make sure that there's no stigma around it and that we don't start um, being critical of people who are impacted by cyber incidences. Um, it can happen to any of us, and we all have to be a part of the solution. And we all have to educate each other. So, if you do know something about cybersecurity, share it with your family and your friends. I'm, you know, my friends all know. They'll laugh when they hear this. I've, I've made sure they all have two factor authentication on their email <laughs> accounts, and you know, I've, I've bought them all camera covers for their computers. And so, um, you know, I think those of us who do know enough about security, we have a responsibility to the people in our lives to make sure they understand just a little bit. They don't have to become technologists, but they should know how to be safe.
1: Yeah, there's always the basics, as you've been talking about through this, about authentication, security, uh, making sure not just relying on a password and basics of using public Wi-Fi and protecting cameras and other types of recording device. No, this is great advice, Kristen. Appreciate so much all that you do and all that you have done throughout your career. This is great that you're now involved with the Cybercrime Support Network and you are a resource for individuals, small, medium businesses to go to and really anyone who whether you're part of cybersecurity or any type of business to know that this is a resource out there. So thank you again.
3: Thank you, Ron, for all the work you do and for inviting me. It's been fun.
1: My pleasure. This concludes the Business of Security podcast. My guest in this episode is Ms. Kristen Judge, President and CEO of the Cybercrime Support Network. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Please come back for more thought-provoking conversations from security leaders.
0: Thanks for listening to the Business of Security podcast. A special thanks to today's guest, Kristen Judge. Our host today was Ron Warner. Connect with Ron on LinkedIn and learn more about his company, RWX Security Solutions, online at rwxsecurity.com. And that's a wrap for Season 2. Stay tuned for more information about the launch of Season 3.
3: Thanks for listening to the Business of Security podcast.